0: Hi, this is Matthew Gatozzi from the future. Before you jump into this awesome podcast episode, I want you to know that some things have changed around here since this episode was published. This show was called How to Build an Audience, and now it's called How to Market Your D2C Brand. The setup is the same, but we now have more of a focus on who we are talking with and what we are actually talking about. So if you're confused, hopefully that clears it up. Lastly, we also changed our company name from Gutozi Collective to Guto Studios. A lot of rebranding has happened since season one of the podcast, but thanks so much for supporting us as we grow and change. Enjoy this podcast episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can listen to the new episodes coming out soon. Okay,
1: thanks. Enjoy. There is always a new show or music artist that will bring people together. Culture unites us as humans, even if it is a reality TV show on Netflix. In the same way, culture in our childhood can connect us. Nostalgia is a sentimental longing for the past. Sometimes we cringe at the old photo from middle school, but there were TV shows and music that shaped each generation. Usually, we leave the nostalgia and storytelling of childhood to family events or first dates, but not Brianne Fleming.
2: I mean, I made the mistake that I would now give as advice is don't think you have to conform to what everyone else is doing. The answer to how I am and and what I wanted to be, I mean, it was rooted back in my childhood. And somewhere along the way, I kind of lost sight of that. And I thought I had to be this This corporate person and this super polished professor or or marketing freelancer. But I know it sounds cheesy, but now I finally feel like I'm just being me.
1: Breanne Fleming is bringing 90s culture back into mainstream with a little marketing twist. With Friends GIFs and Backstreet Boys references, Breanne is teaching marketing to people using her childhood culture and experiences in a unique way online. You are listening to How to Build an Audience, the podcast that tells the stories of how some of the top entrepreneurs, marketers, and communicators built a following around their businesses and brands. I'm your host, Matthew Guttosi. Today, I'm talking with Breanne Fleming. Brienne is a teacher at the University of Florida in their Digital Strategies and Social Media Master's programs. She also owns her own marketing agency, 12 Stories Up, that helps health and wellness brands Breanne hosts her own podcast show, Making the Brand, and is well known for her Twitter chat, Pop Chat. Breanne has one of the most interesting personal brands online, where she mixes marketing and 90s cultures. Before Breanne's success as a marketer, she started like most teenage girls do, obsessed with boy bands and the latest pop culture.
2: I would say it stemmed from when I was a young girl. I had this weekly ritual with my cousin where every weekend we would go to the mall and I would have my $20 allowance and I would buy two things. I would buy a CD for whoever was the, the flavor of the month. Um, you know, One Hit Wonders. I had all the CDs. I had the Lou Bega CD, just for reference, the Mambo Number no. 5 guy. Like I bought every CD that was relevant at the time. Whatever was on TRL, I was buying the whole CD. Um, So I would buy a CD, and then with the few dollars I had left over, I would buy a Teeny Bopper magazine of some sort. So like Teen People, J14, Tiger Beat, J14, all those ones that I was the perfect target audience for at the time. And you know, while I loved the content in the magazines, as someone who loves music and pop culture and pop music, uh, I also was really fascinated by what went into making a magazine. So the way things were laid out, the captions, the headlines, the graphics, the ads, I really would just sit in my room, of course, before social media, and really just take all of it in and analyze it, I think, more than maybe my peers did. So in middle school, high school, that translated into me, you know, being on the yearbook committee and doing newspaper and things like that. And when I got to college, I thought I wanted to be a journalism major, and that's initially what I declared. And I wrote for my college newspaper for a little bit, but I had a turning point where, in my introduction to journalism class, I had uh, an assignment where we had to write an obituary. And you know, granted, if you go into journalism, you're not required to write obituaries. There's so many extensions of it. Um, But that's when I really learned that I didn't want to just write. I liked being a little bit more creative where with journalism, I found that it was more like reporting the facts, where I also loved slogans and logos and all these different ways to get um, creative and especially the psychology behind advertising and visual communication. Um, I really liked all of it. So I switched to another major in my college. It was advertising and PR, which is pretty unique for a college to combine both advertising and PR, which I really loved because I got a lot of the writing still on the PR side and more of the creativity and copywriting and um, graphic design and everything on the advertising side. So I feel pretty fortunate that I feel like I had a very well rounded degree. And from there, once I graduated, I just started climbing a corporate ladder because I thought that's what you had to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a first generation college graduate. That's kind of just what I, I didn't really have anyone guiding me and saying what to do. I just kind of assume that you go and climb a corporate ladder. Um, so that's what I did for a few years. And I decided to go back to school and get my master's in web design And by the time I graduated from the program, I decided that I wanted to teach. So I've now been teaching for almost three years. And with that sort of second job, if you will, I decided to leave the corporate world and teach really part-time while I build my own business and my own brand um, in my other downtime, especially since the program I teach in, even before COVID-19, it was all an online program. So it gave me the flexibility to work from home. I didn't have to be on campus or anything. So it really gives me that flexibility to build what I wanna build um, in my other downtime.
1: I never went to college and I have strong opinions about the educational system in the 21st century. But Brienne took a different route than I did with marketing by going to not only get her undergraduate degree, but also her master's in marketing. I wanted to know why she went to school versus learning from a course or YouTube.
2: In my current roles at the time, before I enrolled in the program, I felt like my creativity had a stopping point. Um, And what I mean by that is, I would help write the ideas for web pages or talk about the videos I think we should include and what the layout should be and all these different aspects of communicating a message. But from there, then I would have to hand it off to someone else to make it really come to life. And I just felt like I wanted to be even more w- well-rounded and really take my passion for writing, my passion for design and just creativity in general, and be able to put it online myself, um, versus always having to rely on designers and other teams. So I felt like that skill was really important for me and especially working full time. I just felt like I needed the rigor of a professor and, and a class environment really teaching me. Um, and, as an instructor now in, I I don't teach in the web design program at the University of Florida, but I teach in the social media program. And my perspective on, you know, can I learn this on YouTube or can I learn this, you know, should I go back to school is you of course can, can really study if you have that type of discipline and teach yourself so many things online, but as an instructor and as that student relationship, you know, to have that rigor and to have that real time feedback and to be able to do something, knowing that a grade depends on it. And then to have a teacher that, um, works with you and gives you ideas for suggestions and really makes you think critically, especially something like coding where, gosh, I would hit so many roadblocks. And you know, when I would try to do it myself, I would just go down these YouTube and, uh, thread message board rabbit holes and just get so frustrated. So it really helped my learning personally to uh, be able to work full time and to have that, that resource and someone there helping me and to have my classmates versus totally relying on teaching myself. So I'm a big believer in it. I don't I don't think you get that same value as you do as having that support system there to help you.
0: Yeah. And I think what's great is that it sounds like you were very aware of what you needed to learn. Like you, everybody learns differently. And so you understood how you learned. And so you chose that path because you knew that you needed that relationship and that rigor. Um, But with that self-awareness, you've had multiple experiences. You said you were, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and you even went back for your master's, which if you think about it, like that's setting you up for, you know, as you climb the corporate ladder to maybe get to a CMO position or a VP of marketing. But you decided I'm going to start my own thing. So I want to know what made you Go from I'm going to be in this more secure position and be in the corporate ladder and all that stuff to I'm going to take my jump and I'm going to start my own marketing agency 12 stories up.
2: I learned quickly that everything that people say about the real world is true, that there are going to be, you know, jobs you love, jobs you hate, things that you have to do that you don't really want to do, people who, you know, aren't there to mentor you like you hope they would be. Um, People will let you down. There's going to be, I I just got kind of caught up in corporate politics um, where, you know, I felt like I had this passion and it would only get me so far until some type of, you know, corporate politics would, would get in the way or, you know, I, I just felt like it was holding me back more than, than helping me. And I wanted to really just make my own fate. And, it was a, a decision I didn't take lightly. Um, i I think if I didn't have the teaching that I was currently doing, I wouldn't have taken that leap, but I felt like I had something secure, something that um, kept me sharp because, you know if, I, if I'm teaching students, I need to know what I'm talking about. So I actually do more reading, more learning, more um, application of what I'm teaching than I even did in the environment because I'm holding myself accountable that way. Um, so all of those factors, I just said, you know what, now seems like the right time. But I think the biggest epiphany I had from graduating college and getting my experience in um, you know, the corporate world is that a big business name on your resume isn't everything. Um, for me, I thought that meant happiness. I wanted to work for a cool, you know, up and coming brand that everyone knew about for some reason that that was on my list. I just wanted to work somewhere that people had heard of and sounded trendy on a resume. And I I think I got there. I worked my way up and I just I was miserable. And it wasn't even because I I disliked the company. It was more like I said, like the politics and bosses and and people um, that made it more challenging than I thought it would be, which is a sad reality about the, the working world sometimes.
0: Absolutely. But you end up going and creating this agency and taking that that leap. Your target audience is kind of this health and wellness space. How did you get to this target audience and how important is understanding like having a target audience? like how is that good for you as you start to build a following for your business
2: especially when you're you're freelancing or you have your own agency and you just if you just say you do marketing or you just do some type of thing if you don't narrow it down in some way to a certain industry or a certain niche or specialty there really is no different differentiating factor so i started working in fitness marketing even in college, I worked on campus doing marketing for our rec center, um, promoting intramural sports and sport clubs and group exercise, all the things. And I just thought it was such a fun industry um, you know, to be a part of something where you're helping people get active, people are having fun. Um, it just seemed like the right industry for me. So um, I didn't get right into it my first job out of college. I worked for a nonprofit, which... Side note, I highly recommend nonprofits to anyone who might be trying to switch careers or anyone who's entry level in marketing um, because nonprofits tend to not have a budget for a whole marketing team. So they'll have this role where they, they don't have enough to pay someone who's super senior usually or has tons of years of experience, and since they usually can't hire a whole team, you get to become sort of a Jack or Jill of all trades and really get your feet wet in tons of different aspects of marketing, which at the time I was, I don't know, 20, 21 or 22, I got to learn a lot about my strengths in that type of position. So that's a side note there, but I just, I feel like it's so important to market what you know and to be realistic about what you're capable of doing versus over-promising and saying you're an expert in all of marketing for me, I just, I wanted to be known more as, um, you know, the fitness expert and sticking to what I knew at that point in my career. Um, so as far as building an audience, that really helps me, um, just really get clear on who they were. It was people in this, this certain industry. So that, that just helped Um, you know, provide clarity, not only for me, but for potential clients.
1: From life experiences, Brianne was able to find where she wanted to focus her efforts. I agree that it is important to have a specific target audience because I've made the mistake in the past of not doing that. If Brianne was helping someone else find their target audience, I wanted to know how she would pull out these life experiences from someone else to get their target audience.
2: Well, first I would ask yourself, what is it that you truly love? Like I I love the fitness industry. So when I first took that leap, I questioned, I, I said to myself, okay, do I take on this client in this other industry that I might not be super passionate about, but hey, I just took a huge risk. I I might need the money. I need the experience. Let me try to take this on. And I've definitely done that here and there, but over time I've learned to be true to what I do and know best versus trying to kind of overmarket myself and be all things to all, all people. I think that's such a such an important. Uh, you know, mantra and uh, known fact about your audience is you don't want to be all things to all people. It's better to specialize. And it might seem intimidating at first because you think you're narrowing down and there's not going to be anyone left, but it's really the opposite. It just shows people that you are the exact person that they've been looking for.
0: Everybody's out there on the internet, right? And even as a marketer, we you know, we're all kind of talking and You know, we all share pretty much the same advice, maybe just written differently, but like there's nothing new under the sun until I feel like I met you and followed you on in Twitter. And then I was like, no, there's something different here. And you basically have created a whole brand. Your whole personal brand is about marketing advice but everything is somewhat related to kind of your childhood and just like this, like, I don't know, the inner child in yourself and like who you really are. And I love that. And it's like, you're unapologetically that. And I think there's so much just like, plainness and even and like I, and i'm talking to myself too like there's just i'm not like i after like doing more research i was like geez, i need to get like the, i need to get like super niche i want to like i want to get there but like i want to understand like how did you get the confidence like build the confidence to like go out of your way to build this niche, like the style, like the style of how you're doing it. Like, I don't know, maybe that's just how you've always been. Or if there was a turning point of view or like, I want to do something different for personal branding. So I just want to understand, like, how did you get to where you are now? Because it it seems normal. But I feel like when you first started posting, people were probably like, this seems weird. Like, this is kind of funny, but like, not really. But now people are like, oh, this is actually cool. Like, that's, that's how I see it.
2: When I did take that leap and I decided to go on my own, I'm like, okay, I need to start my own agency. Um, I need to freelance. I need to market myself. I need to do all these things. So, at the time when I did that, I still always had this '90s kind of pop culture passion. You know, it all goes back to those teeny bopper magazines that I mentioned. I had this this blog that wasn't academic or anything like a businessy in nature at all. It wasn't about marketing. It was really just about music and nostalgia. Um, but there was no marketing angle to it at all. So I was doing that while I was still working full time and it was just my fun little side project. So when I quit my job, I said, okay, I have this little blog about the nineties. Um, I know I'm an instructor at a university. I know I need to start something that's going to make me money and work with clients and, and, you know, do what I like to do, which is marketing. So I ended up feeling like three different versions of myself. I had this little blog. I had this like professor version of myself that I portrayed. And, you know, it was like my LinkedIn personality. I'm like this agency owner and I'm this marketer. And then I had like my normal Instagram, which is like family and friends and like the real me. And it was exhausting. I, 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 did that for maybe the first year um, since leaving my job. And I just felt like so many different versions of myself, and it felt so inauthentic. It wasn't differentiating at all. Like you said, there's like nothing new under the sun. I just felt like every other, you know, business coach out there. And it wasn't until I wrote an article on my fun little 90s blog that ha- usually didn't have a marketing angle. I wrote an article about my first loves, the Backstreet Boys, and their album that they released in 2019, and that album went to number one, and so did their album Millennium, which came out in 1999, the I Want It That Way album, and I wrote this fun article saying, um, you know, how or describing the differences in how their new album went to number one in the age of social media and video and YouTube and all these other factors versus 1999 when all they had was TRL and music videos. So it was the first time on that blog that I did incorporate more of a marketing angle and I shared it in a Backstreet Boys fan group that I'm in. And, um, a friend of mine who, or she, I didn't know her at the time, just this girl in the group, she is a business owner. She's actually an Etsy coach and helps people, you know, makers, creatives, you know, sell their products on Etsy. And she happens to be a huge Backstreet Boy fan and had her own podcast. And she said, I read your article. I would love to have you on my podcast to talk about this. And I think there are some takeaways about social media that my Etsy audience will appreciate. So, That was the first podcast episode I ever did. Her name is Danielle. And after I hung up, it was like the most fun conversation I'd ever had. You know, it was about two things I loved. And it was like the collision of music and marketing. And I said, you know what? Like, I want all my conversations and everything to feel like that. Like, I feel like myself for the first time. So that was a pivotal moment where I said, you know what? Let me play with this a little more. Let me kind of abandon this pop culture blog and kind of just strip it down to just my name and just be myself and this is what I love these are my two big passions so that's that's really how it happened it was kind of by accident but it was that feeling where I just knew that I wanted, I I was where I was was supposed to be.
0: The issue with a lot of people is that they go so niche that they're so afraid. So like, how did you kind of get past that like original, like, hey, I'm going to just do this and then also start to build like an audience around this style of like writing, but also like for people learning about marketing through like 90s references.
2: I mean, that definitely crossed my mind. I'm like, gosh, I'm one of a one of maybe very few people that care about this era of music or I, no one loves the backstreet boys as much as i do like no one else is going to care but i realized that attaching marketing lessons to something else just gave people one more thing to resonate with and i just started experimenting with that and and you know if you don't love the backstreet boys all right, maybe you love Sync, or you love another another group or another band and the, the takeaways are still the same, but I've just packaged it in a way that makes it a little bit more interesting because there are other people on Twitter and other platforms that are just straight up talking about marketing, but they're not attaching it and giving it this sort of flair. So, um, you know, I kind of just started off with what I love and that era that I love, but I think what's really helped me is it's expanded more to a generation um, and just anyone that grew up in that time. You know, I definitely have to do some research on references and things that maybe I didn't, you know, participate in um, back in my childhood, but I still, I, I turn to my audience then to tell me about their experience. You know, I'm not a big star Wars fan, not going to lie. I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. That's not really my cup of tea, but I will use kind of my platform as talking about, childhood and nostalgia in this moment in time to give my audience the floor and let them talk about it if that's what they're into so i've i've said what i want to say and talk and i talk about what i want to talk about but i think giving the floor to someone else to reflect on their childhood and things the same way i do um, makes it more relatable
0: no i am mean, curious like have you ever like like what about like Gen Z, right? Like a lot of these people, like they were born, you know, after 9/11 and like that's crazy to think about, right? But they're they're adults now and they are in jobs and they may not understand these references. So how do you still build an audience when you know that there's a next generation of people that are going to miss out on your references or are you do you not care about that because you're only trying to focus on kind of that millennial industry or, you know, timeframe?
2: That's a great question. I mean, one thing I like to do there is really show the contrast of what life as a millennial was like versus life as Gen Z. So for instance, the other day I tweeted something about, uh, it was a clip from TRL, Total Request Live, uh, back in the day. It was in 1998. And it was a clip where they were talking about this contest that were uh, their audience could submit sketches to be to, for a chance to win as the new cover design for a TRL notebook or something like they could draw the cover design and, and win. And to enter, they had to fax the show, <laughs> like their artwork. And they like, they actually said, Hey, call fax one, eight, eight, whatever, to send your artwork to TRL. And, I I use this piece of sort of modern history for Gen Z to have that moment to be like, wow, I can't believe things used to used to be that way. And I think even though they may not have experienced it firsthand, it's still kind of interesting for them to see how things were. It's kind of like when our parents tell us, you know, oh, a movie ticket used to be 10 cents or grandparents and everything. So I think that still makes it fun for them to see just the contrast between these two generations.
1: After the break, Brienne breaks down how she has built a very popular Twitter chat called Pop Chat.
0: This show is sponsored by Katozi Collective. We are a marketing agency based in Austin, Texas that is a personal marketing team to many businesses. We create photo and video content delivered to you each month to save you time and a massive headache when you're planning your social media for the month. If planning's too much for you, we can also run your social media accounts to give you more time to grow your business. You can visit our website at www.ketozikollective.com. Now, let's get back to the show.
1: Every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, Brienne has a Twitter chat under the hashtag, hashtag #popchat. She will ask questions that have to do with pop culture and people respond to these questions. These questions create multiple conversations and garners many replies. And engagement. I have joined a few times and loved being able to discuss topics moderated by Breanne with other people on Twitter. I want to know the origins of Pop Chat and how that has helped Breanne build her audience.
2: Pop Chat essentially is a, a chat where I recap pop culture moments for the week. And I pose questions to my audience that are related to marketing based on that pop culture happening. Um, and it came about when I just, I was looking for my own Twitter chats to participate in and I wasn't really finding any that felt, felt like what I was looking for. Um, there's a lot of marketing and and social chats, but I felt like they largely focus on the features and the new innovations. And you're kind of just talking about what it's like to use them. Whereas again, with pop chat, I'm taking these features and, lessons in social media, and I'm attaching them to sports or a new movie that just came out or a new song or musician. Um, so for instance, a couple, gosh, might be a couple months ago now, uh, audio tweets were introduced. And I saw one of the chats was just asking like, what do you think of this new tw- new feature, audio tweets? And in my chat, I said, John Legend seems to be one of the first celebrities to use audio tweets to promote his new um, or to promote his music. What do you think of this approach? How else can celebrities use audio tweets to to promote their music? So I just felt like it was making more of a conversation. Um, so that that was really the difference. Is I wanted to give people a chance to talk more about how these things are being used versus kind of like these features that don't really have life yet. Like they're, no one's really using them. I wanted to attach them to things that people resonate with.
0: It sounds like you take a lot of examples of real life. And I think that this is a beautiful way to be able to learn. It's, it kind of goes back to your self-awareness, like your self-awareness of like, how do you learn and what you need? You're also very self-aware of the world around you and like the lessons that you can learn and you kind of pull it out in a, in a fun way. And maybe that comes from maybe your teaching side of you where you're able to kind of apply some of these examples to, um, you know, being able to build your own brand. Um, I am curious, like you do help a lot of people like that are new to like personal branding. Like you help people kind of start their personal brand or kind of like teach them how to get into, you know, building a brand and things like that. Like what would be your top advice to somebody that's, you know, just starting out to like, how they could build an audience around themselves or around a business?
2: I mean, I made the mistake that I would now give as advice is don't think you have to conform to what everyone else is doing. The answer to how I am and, and what I wanted to be, I mean, it was rooted back in my childhood. And somewhere along the way, I kind of lost sight of that. And I thought I had to be this this corporate person and this super polished professor or or marketing freelancer. But I know it sounds cheesy, but now I finally feel like I'm just being me. So don't compare yourself to other people and feel like you need to live up to some perfect example of yourself. Just be you, share what you love, package it up in a way that makes sense to you and is true to you. And it's going to it's going to feel the best and also make you stand out. So I wish I followed that advice a lot earlier.
0: (laughs) You know, you focus a lot uh, on your blog, but also on Twitter and your podcast. Like if somebody is like starting out, like how do they start to kind of curate this, um, this like their personality, right? Like how do you kind of get to this point? Cause like it sounds great. Like it's like, yeah, great. You know, be yourself. But like, how do you get to a point where you can actually curate that in your own personal brand?
2: I think it comes down to just realizing there are lessons in your own experiences, your everyday experiences, even though we're not having a lot of experiences right now with COVID. But you know, every time you go to a concert or every time you go see a movie or you go to a a restaurant or something that you love, I'm sure there's a takeaway there, you know, whether it's marketing or leadership or what it might be, you're learning and observing lessons and observations every, every single day. So I would say just lean into what you're going through and what's happening and don't think you always have to just sit at your desk and come up with this brand new idea Just talk about the things that you're you're going through and experiencing, and it's it's going to come much more naturally.
1: In a recent episode of Brienne's podcast, she talked about nostalgia and connecting with past experiences. I wanted to know how can brands and people build their audience using nostalgia and shared experiences.
2: Nostalgia is just something that unites all of us. Like we all have something that we can reflect back on, um, and and just. Have these memories, and I think anytime you can pull that out of people, uh, I think it really taps into storytelling. Because even if I write a blog post or if I do anything where I talk about my experience at my first concert or my my first uh, car or whatever it might be, whatever is nostalgic for me, people will paint their own picture based on whatever it is that they're reading. Um, and there's a, a storytelling expert named Kendra Hall that talks about this and she she tells a story about her i don't know if it was her first roller coaster ride or what but she's talking about a roller coaster um and she's a public speaker and she said to her audience she said okay now when i was telling that story about the roller coaster did you picture your first time on a roller coaster or the last time you were at a theme park i think it it gives us this mechanic to tell stories and give people a chance to relate to it, even if they don't relate directly to what that person is exactly saying, it makes us think about ourselves. So I think businesses can do that um, just as well and and tap into this and just get their audience to to tell their story and, and feel their story based on their content.
0: I finish off the podcast with a segment called Open Mic. This is a chance for my guests to share anything they want. A lot of times, I feel like people get stuck behind the industry that they are in, but we are all human and have other interests outside of that. So this is a space for my guests to say whatever they want to say.
2: I think the biggest thing that has helped me build an audience is, again, it sounds cheesy, but realizing that we're better together. Um, So an example of that, when I first started doing my podcast, You know, I had imposter syndrome. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I would just record solo episodes because that was all I felt confident doing. And it wasn't until I had my first interview, my first few interviews that I realized, one, how much more fun I had, you know, learning from other people and how much more value I had or how much more value the episode would have from a genuine conversation with someone else. But Being able to help each other out, and you know, whoever I interviewed, they would promote me, I would promote them. It builds this bond. So, I think the more that we realize that you're not an imposter, we're not in this competition, we're all really in this together to help each other. And the more that we can elevate each other along the way, we're all going to be better for it. So, simple ways you can do that is you know, give someone that retweet, help them out, share links to your friend's stuff, you know, leave reviews for your friends' businesses. If you read a book that you like, write a review about it, help the author out, you know, just any way that you can cheerlead for other people. I think that's really helped me build my community because I I get a lot of joy out of trying to lift them up as much as I can. And they always lift me up. So I think it's, it's really the the way you build relationships today is you have to help each other out.
1: There's so much we can learn from past culture and current culture and relate it to our audience. People have a diverse amount of experiences that we can connect with as we build our audience. Brienne has shown that you can tap into nostalgia in a way that connects different people from all over. You can follow Brienne on Twitter and check out her podcast, Making the Brand. All the links to find Brienne will be in the show notes. Thank you, Brienne, for being on the show. If you like this show, tweet me at Matthew Gutozi, And if you really love this show, drop a rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast listening app, and I will talk to you next week.